following message was given by Demetrius White on Sunday, June 4th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. As you all know, you may not know me, um, may have visitors here. Um, my name is Demetrius, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is an honor and a privilege to be with you uh, once again this Sunday to share the Word of God with you. Um, I'm not going to disappoint, or I'm going to try not to disappoint you because we're not uh, going through the Proverbs this Sunday. Our dear brother uh, Mark Becton is out, so unfortunately you are stuck with me. You know, you're stuck with me, you know, this Sunday. So it, it's, it will be okay. All right, if you would be so kind to turn with me to uh, John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, we'll read uh, verses 1 through 16. We'll focus on the 16th verse of the Gospel of John. I'll begin reading here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses was lifted up, in the, in, as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our focus verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Father, we come to you humbly, weak, frail, tired of the weak that we have just faced. We need to hear from you. We need the Spirit to soften our hearts. We need Him to quiet our minds. 
We need him to empower our wills so that we could see, savor, and feast upon Christ and have him, the living water, quench our spiritual thirst. Have him who is the bread of life nourish us this morning. Give me an option, Lord, that I would preach demonstration of spirit and power that your people would be fed and that those who are lost may come to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and come running to him to find rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you know that God loves you? Maybe in answering this question, you would consider the consistency of your walk. Maybe that is why God loves you. Maybe it's not your consistency, but your service to him. Maybe it has nothing to do with your consistency or your service, but your feelings of overwhelming peace. Maybe that is the reason God loves you. I don't want to downplay these things. It is good to be consistent. It is good to serve the living God. And have peace. But if these things define why God loves you, your understanding of God's love is broken and will eventually become destructive. You say to me, Pastor D, why is this? This is why. Because in this life you will fail to be consistent. The mighty apostle Paul, who was known in hell, in Acts 19, it says that Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? He said to the demon, said to the sons of Sceva. They knew Paul, yet he struggled in Romans 7. And he cried out, O wretched man that I am, you will fail to be consistent in this life. In your life of service towards God, you will never be able to give him an offering of service large enough to please him. And at times, your peace will be challenged by the ebbs and flows, highs and lows of life's trials. We need something greater to rest upon, to understand with confidence that God loves us. Our text this morning provides us with sure footing and a firm foundation to stand upon so that we may be assured of God's enduring love to us. However, before we unpack John 3.16, we must understand the context of the passage to help us understand our text, John 3.16, properly. Jesus in our story meets with a very intriguing man, a man by the name of Nicodemus. He's a man of power. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a man of influence. He's a Pharisee. He's a prestigious man of academic prowess. He is a teacher of Israel. He was a man who knew about Jesus, who respected Jesus, who affirmed the miracle working power of Jesus, but had fallen short of discerning the mission of Christ in this world. There are many of us like that. Thousands of people like that in the world. They will affirm Jesus as a social warrior, won't they? They will add Jesus to their program. They are acquainted with Jesus. They even like the gifts of Jesus that he has to offer them. But they fail to realize the mission of Christ. And that is to save his people, not in their sins, but from their sins. 
Jesus unravels the purpose of his coming. He told Nicodemus that his coming was to bring men into the kingdom of God by his spirit and his death. Jesus highlights the beauty of God's saving work through the Son by telling Nicodemus in a nutshell that God saves us not because of what we can do for him or what we will do for him, but he saves because he wants to save. It is a gracious move, an act of God all by himself. It is here in John 3.16 that Jesus unravels the foundation upon which salvation stands. He tells Nicodemus that the thrust of his sin-bearing ministry and the regenerating work of the Spirit sets upon the sure foundation of the Father's love. And to highlight this for Nicodemus, to highlight this for us this morning, Jesus unravels four essential truths concerning the love of God for each and every last person in this room and in the world. Jesus unravels God's gracious disposition to the world. He wants Nicodemus, he wants us to understand this morning four things. Who loves, what he loves, how he loves, and Jesus will display to us love's gracious offer. Jesus unravels the mystery of salvation by telling us first, who loves? I want you to pay particular attention to who loves in verse 16. It says, for who? For who? God so loved the word? world. It is God the Father who loves. It is the Father who moves first. I want you to understand what the text does not say. Okay? It did not say that God saw what you would do. God looked down through the corridors of time to see what you would do, that you would choose him, and then God decided to spew forth his love on you. No, the text doesn't say that. It says, for God so loved the world. This is God's initiative. He decided to love you. You know, when we read the scriptures, you know, we, we come to the scriptures. I am convinced. I say this a lot, but I am convinced because I speak to a lot of people. And I am convinced they really don't sit down and meditate on the profound truth that is being relayed to them from scripture. So we handle the scriptures lightly, and because we handle the scriptures lightly, we live lightly. But have you considered what it means for God the Father to love you? I don't think many of us have considered, and that's why we're not convinced that he loves us. And for this to resonate with us, we must consider God in the light of his attributes, character, and nature. Who is this God that decides to love humanity? I want you to consider God's independence first and foremost. God's independence. God is an independent being from himself. God does not have a father or a mother or a beginning. God has life within himself, John 5, 26. God does not need life from any section of creation, but creation derives its existence from God. The angels, humans, stars, molecules, galaxies, all derive their life from God. Hebrews 1, 3 says, all things are upheld by the word of his power. In him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 28. No one in heaven or earth contributes anything to God. God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Psalm 50, verse 12. 
He declares to us that he is incapable of having needs. Contrary to popular belief, God did not create the universe or humanity because he was lonely. But out of the abundance of his being, he decided to create for his own glory. Revelation 4.11. Listen. This may shock you this morning. But God doesn't need a helping hand from you. Well, Demetrius, I, I, I thought we were called the good works you are. But as Martin Luther says, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. He is self-sufficient and independent. Consider God in his perfection. When we say that God is perfect, we mean that it is impossible to add anything to God or take anything away from him. He is incapable of the least increase or decrease. God has never learned anything. You realize that? Nothing comes as a shock to God. He is not upon his throne worried or wringing his hands. He's not worried about Donald Trump. He's not worried about Putin. He's not worried about what's going on around the world. God is not worried about that. He is in absolute control. He never looks down through the corridors of time to gather information on anything, anyone, or anything in his created order. He knows everything in one moment. Psalm 147 verse 5. His understanding is infinite. Dearly beloved, the sun does not lose its glory or gain glory when the moon is bright or dark. Likewise, this perfect God does not gain anything by our service or lose anything for the lack thereof. This is God, for God so loved. This should shock you. I don't just want you to consider the independence of God or the perfection of God, but I want you to consider who God is in his holiness. The holiness of God refers to his moral purity, goodness, and transcendent nature, his otherness. There is nothing in creation like God, an angel in all of his incandescent glory, the uh, uh, bacteria that floats around in your toilet. They have more in common with one another than they do God because both are created. When the angels cry, holy 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 is the lord god almighty they are saying he is holy the most holy and supremely holy and the outworking of god's holiness more in morality is his disdain for sin and impurity habakkuk 113 god is self-sufficient independent god is perfect god is holy at this point your eyes should be glazing over and your mind should be racing if god is self-sufficient if he is perfect and holy if he does not need anything from creation due to his perfection why does god love me here's a profound answer for you he loves you because he chooses to love you he loves you because he chooses to love you out of the abundance of his nature and a free act of his will. God looked down from heaven and he saw you. He knew what you were going to be. He knew what you were going to do from eternity past. And he said, yes, this one here, this filthy, rotten, putrid thing, this is who I will shower my love upon. Oh, Pastor T, you're, you're just absurd. This, this is just outrageous. You're making all of this up. Pastor T, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, do I? Do, I don't. I don't. 
But you know who does? God does. And this is what he says about you in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You know why he does it through Jesus Christ? Because he knew that if salvation were dependent on you, you would foul it up. You would lose it in one second. So he makes your salvation. He roots you in union with Christ so that it would be fail-proof. But this is what the purpose of it all is. This is why God does this. This is why he chooses you. It says he does this according to the purpose of his will. Has nothing to do with you. Some of you looking at me like a dog at a new pan. This is good news. This, listen, I'm going to say that again. This, you may not know this, this is good news. This is what it sounds like. That God does everything for you to save you and bring you to himself for his glory and your joy for all of eternity. God did not wait for you to get your act together. He did not wait for you to turn over a new leaf to establish a church going regiment or a Bible reading plan. God decided to love you before all of that. It has nothing to do with you. The Apostle John was mar- marveled by this. In 1 John chapter 4, he's trying to figure out why God, why does he even love God and why God loves him. You know, maybe John is contemplating who he truly was outside of God, who who he was. He he abandoned Christ, you see. Peter denied him three times. John may have heard the imperatives of Christ, that if someone wanted to follow him, he must take up his cross and follow him. You had to be willing to die. John said, I failed that test. He may have heard Christ said, if someone wants to enter the kingdom of God, they must enter through the narrow gate. They must enter through the door. John said, I ran from the door. I didn't strive to enter in. Judas kissed the door and he didn't make it. Why does God love me and why do I love God for that matter? This is what 1 John 4, 19 says. It says, we love him because he first loved us. Behold the love of God, man. The greatest thing in the world. The greatest news in the world. That God loves human beings like this. This is clearly seen in our next point. To highlight all of this. Our second point. What God loves. Who loves. What he loves. Notice in our text Jesus highlights. Whom this holy, independent, transcendent God loves. The text shows us who he sets his sights on from all of eternity. The world. For God so loved, what? The world. Now that may not shock you. That may not jar you, but I'm going to help paint this on the canvas of your heart so that you could be enamored at the beauty of God's love for you. 
You know, the Greek word cosmos, depending on the context of the passage, can mean several things. It can express order, harmony. It can refer to the universe or the earth or the inhabitants of the world. In the context of John chapter 3, we know from 17 on down that John is speaking of the inhabitants of the world. This would have come as a shock to Nicodemus. It would have been appalling to him because first century Jews had it in their mind that God couldn't love the world. He just loved the Jews exclusively. Leon Morris, in his commentary on John, says that the Jews were ready enough to think of God as loving Israel, which he did. But there are no passages cited by any Jewish writers or rabbi maintaining that God loved the world. Nicodemus knew what Jesus was saying because for Jesus to say that God loved the world, he was saying that he loved the unrighteous. He loved the unholy. He loved the down and outs. He loved the despicable. This is who he comes for. In the eyes of a first century Jew, this was scandalous. And it should be for us too. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for sinners. God's love is so remarkable, not because humanity is so big, but because humanity is so wicked. And yet he still loves. Now I was reading in my Bible, I went through 1 Peter and 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 12. This is what I mean by meditating on scripture to get to the depth of it. There's one section in that verse where it says the angels desire to look into the things of salvation. Why? This isn't in any text of scripture. I just imagine. I'm just thinking through. Why would they want to look into this thing? These guys, these beings, they saw a being named Lucifer, a cherubim. Do you know what cherubim are? They are directly attached to God's throne. They are the highest order of being. They are the closest being to the ineffable God. They are the ones who cry, holy, holy, holy. Lucifer was a cherubim. They saw him. They saw him praise God. They saw him change to have pride within himself. They saw that he sinned against God and led other angels with him. They saw God effortlessly take them and cast them down into chains of darkness. And they saw that God offered them no savior. Justly, that's what sin deserves. Damnation. And here comes a man, a ball of dust that God put together. He wraps him up, God breathes into him the breath of life, and he showers his love on him. He gives him the most spectacular abode to live in. It says in Genesis that there was onyx and gold and all types of things. Every last sort of fruit that man could have ever wanted. He lived in abundance. The man was a multimillionaire, if you wanted to say. You could think of him like that. He had everything. He had a relationship with the omnipotent, holy God, where he spoke to him face to face. And you know what this ball of dust does? 
He listens to this fallen being and he sins and he plunges all of humanity into sin. But the angels had to be shocked because they're thinking that these people are going to get the same thing that they got. But here comes God. He comes to Adam in grace and he kills an animal and he covers him with his skins. And he says that I'm sending a one to crush the head of the serpent. How amazed were the angels? We don't know. Oh, you looking at me? Oh, he's excited. I am excited because this is good news. <laughs> this is the great. If you're sitting there, I'm not condemning. If this doesn't resonate in your heart, I don't have anything else for you, man. This is good news. God sends his son into the world to die for people like this. Have you considered? The angels know. The angels saw Adam sin. They saw Sodom and Gomorrah. They saw all the rebellions in the world. They saw the French Revolution. They saw Auschwitz. They saw Pol Pot. They saw Sherman Mao Zedong. They saw the 20th century. They see sin and all of its awfulness. They know this. And, but I'm asking you, do you know? Because it should amaze you that God loves people like this. It says of the world that they're dead in trespasses and sins. Their hearts are at enmity with God. They are God haters. They go forth from their youth telling lies. Psalm 58.3. From their youth their thoughts are corrupted. Genesis 8.21. They have madness in their hearts all the days of their lives. Ecclesiastes 9.3. This should amaze you. This should shock you. This should cause you to cover your mouth in awe. Because God decides to love people just like this. Oh, Demetrius, I, I, you know, I got to get my act together. No, you don't. God is calling you. He loves people just like this. Well, I got to clean my, 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 myself up, Demetrius. You can't clean yourself up. That's why God decided to love you, to bring you to himself. You know, there's a song. I love Brother Shelby because Shelby, man, he picks the right song. But there's a song that I grew up with called He Saw the Best in Me. It's the most theologically inaccurate song. I hate it. I, dude, if I hear that song, I'm going to explode. But I'm going to tell you what God saw when he looked at you. He looked down at you and he says that there were none righteous. No, not one. When he looked down within the crevices of your heart and soul, you know what he said about you? He said that your heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Yet God loves you. He decided to love you. Behold the love of God. While you were enemies, God demonstrated his love towards you by sending his son to die for your sins. Romans 5, 6 through 8. God came for a wretch like Demetrius. My wife will tell you I'm not perfect. She will tell you. But he came for a wretch like me. You aren't either. And he came for you because he loves you. Why does this matter? There will be times when your conscience condemns you 
It will tell you that you're not a good Christian. Sometimes the devil will come to you. Sometimes your loved ones will remind you of your sin. Sometimes church folk will remind you of your sin. You know, old Sister Jenkins, we had a a Sister Jenkins type in my church. You know, Sister Jenkins will remind you of your sin, the sin that you committed 10 years ago. She makes sure that she reminds you of your sin. But you know what you tell Sister Jenkins? You tell her, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He died for my sins. That's what you tell Sister Jenkins. God does something about these wicked people. He decides to love. He does not leave them this way. He does not leave them to face his wrath. He sends his son. Listen, I have four kids. I love them. They aren't perfect by any means. But let me tell you, if someone walked in here and said, listen, the whole world is going to blow up today if you don't Give up one of your children. Well, I'm sorry. I'm dearly beloved. I'm very sorry. You're going to die today. Because <laughs> I love him. But can you imagine this God? Here's God. Here's Jesus Christ. John 1.18. Who rests in the bosom of the Father. Who loves the Father. They are communing with one another. Here comes God. He sends this son. This is our third point. How God loves phrase for God so love in the Greek is translated for in this way or this is how God loves. John is not highlighting the expensive nature of God's love but how he shows his love towards us by sending his own son who is generated from him who is one with him in nature for all of eternity. Do you realize that? God never had a lonely day. I'm not going to get into the Trinity. I will just a tad bit. (laughs) I'm not going to exhaust it. But do you know what God the Father has been doing for all of eternity? Loving his son and fellowshipping with his spirit. They were perfectly content. They needed nothing. They had the abundance of joy amongst them. That's why I don't understand how how Muslims could really trust that that Allah loves them. He never had the attribute of love for all of eternity. But our God does. And this is who God sits for. God so loved the world, he gave his son. Oh, behold the love of God. Dearly beloved, this is what you need to rest in. This is what you need to encourage yourself in. The love of God. You know, this is the key to the killing of sin. This, the gospel. You know, I know, you know I love the purity. You know, Chris, you know I love some John Owen, man. I, you know, I could recommend you John Owen, but I could recommend something to you even greater. I could recommend to you the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you comprehend it well enough by the Spirit of God, I can guarantee you that you will put your sin to death. The apostles, the ones I, was, I, I just talked about who fled from Jesus Christ. You know what got them on right road? They saw Jesus Christ resurrected. He manifested himself to you know what he did? You know what he didn't do? He didn't come into the room with them and say, you old dirty, filthy, rotten thing. 
You ran from me. You know what he did? He assured them that he was alive and that he loved them. That's what he did. You know what, he, you know what else he did? Here's the God of the universe who created everything. You know what he does? He comes along the shores of Galilee and he says, hey, do you have any fish over there? No, he says, well, cast a net on the other. They, they, one of them says, hey, that's the Lord. He jumps in. They all come to the shore. And you know what the creator of the universe does out of love? He cooks for them. I'm going to tell you, when you see Jesus, you will be astounded. Sure, you will be amazed at the radiance of his glory, at his beauty. But you know what you will be astounded at? You will be astounded at his humility and his willingness to serve. I tell you, what a wonderful Savior. One of my friends came by the house the other day. We were sitting out on the front porch. We were just chatting. And I said, listen, I said, I said to my man, I said, you see, let's think about the new heavens and the new earth. You see Jesus coming down the road there. And he walks up to the porch and he says, do you mind if I join you? You know what he did? He started crying. I said, but that's the type of savior we have. And this is who God gave to you to save you. How unbelievable. This is how God loves. He loves us by sending his son to die for our sins. This has everything to do with our killing our sins. Understanding the love of God for us will constrain us. It will control. What, what does Paul said? The love of God controls me. That is what drove his apostolic ministry. It wasn't law. I got to do this or God's going to hammer me. He's going to make me a grease spot. It was the love of Christ that constrained him. And it will constrain you too. When that thing comes knocking, you will say, no way. Do you understand how God loves me? One of my friends called me. She says, hey, could you pray for me? So sometimes I like to challenge people. I said, well, did you pray for yourself? She said, no, I want you to pray for me. I said, why do you want me to pray for you? Well, you seem to have a line with God. Seems like you get your prayers answered. I said, well, you're telling me something new. <laughs> but I said, here's the difference. I said, it seems as if you are basing your relational status with God on what you have and haven't done. See, that's the difference between you and I. Has nothing to do with me. My merit, my righteousness, my favor with God is rooted in the person and works of Christ. When I go into the throne room to pray to God, I go in, in the stead of Christ. His person, his work, his merit, and that is why the Father hears me. Do you believe God loves you like that? He does. There are some scriptures, and especially in, in, in John 17, that when Jesus says, God, you love them like you love them. That, that, if that weren't in the scripture, that'd be blasphemous. 
but he does and you must trust that he does here's my last point love's offer for God so loved the world that he gave his only son here's the offer that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life once again he doesn't say whosoever turns over a new leaf whosoever cleans up himself whosoever trusts rests and believes on Christ that's it he will give you eternal life what are the alternatives John 3.36 if you're lost today and you don't know Christ, here's the other offer. The wrath of God abides upon you. Presently and in eternity future, it will rest upon you eschatologically for eternity. But here's the good news. God sends his son to die for you. He sends him out of love. And not only the Father, but Jesus. John 10 says that he loves his sheep and he lays his life down for them. Come to Christ. Christian, for you, when you mess up, and you will. When you don't love Christ perfectly, you will do that too. Just believe that this is not based on you. It is based on the work, the active and passive obedience of Christ. And this is why you have favor with God. And you can come to him with your sins and he will wash you clean. God is like the father in Luke, right? You know, you know his son leaves him and, and he sees his son. He says, kill the fatty calf. <laughs> it's crazy. You would think the father said, no, nope, no, nope, you got to work yourself back up. You got to build it up. No, kill the fatted calf. That's what God thinks about you, Christian. He loves you. Sinner, he loves you. Come to him. Father, we come to you. In the name of your son, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would encourage us as we go throughout the week, that it would bring us comfort, that it would bring us joy, that it would empower us to kill our sin, that it would motivate our obedience to you. Yes, help us with that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a message by Demetrius White, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www dot redemptionhill dot o r g